You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dunn. That's right. You are tuned in to another episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas, from ESPN.com, and alongside me, as always, I've been waiting all week to say this since the UFC 151 conference call from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, Ben Folkies. Ben, ben, how are you? How are you doing? That's a cheap shot. Man, I get small victories over here, man. Yeah, you know, hey, I'm just saying... You won't. You don't even want to know how many different variations of pronunciations on my name I will answer to. There, I know people I've known them for five years. They're still calling me Ben Falcas. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> uh, you're telling me. Anyway, uh, we come to you this week on the heels of what was a one of the more unique weeks I think in the history of mixed martial arts. It was by turns interesting and, for lack of a better word, retarded. Uh, <laughs> it was fast-paced and just fatiguing, mind-numbing. Yeah. Especially considering that nothing really happened, fight-wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing happened at all, and yet it was one of them. Yet so much happened. Yeah. Um, we'll never be the same. I, I would, think we can say that right now. I would like to say that people showed the, 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 their best qualities and their worst qualities, but I'm pretty sure everyone just showed their worst qualities yeah. pretty much all the way around. Friends became enemies. Enemies became friends. Oh, all that. So on, the, on this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast, we'll be discussing that in, in detail. Uh, this, this week's episode will be in three rounds, as always. In round number one, we will discuss the specific incident of John Jones turning down a short notice fight with Chael Sonnen in the ensuing cancellation of UFC 151. In round two, we will discuss uh, a little bit more philosophically, I think. The, yeah, uh, and we'll relax and kind of lay it all out there. Yeah, we're going to take our shoes off and put our feet up on the coffee table and talk about the culture of MMA, the fabric of the sport, the the ideology, the philosophy, etc., etc. It's going to be it's going to be interesting. I I hope you stick around for that. And in round three, uh, we're going to talk about uh, UFC 152, which was, I thought, cleverly taglined by uh, one of my Twitter followers this week as UFC 152, UFC 151. (laughs) Uh, But before we do that, as always, we've got some listener mail to get to. You guys sent us another shitload of questions this week, uh, mostly UFC 151-centric. I don't know if we are uh, letting the cat out of the bag too much here to maybe hand out a, a tip or a pointer about listener mail. And that would be kind of, if you send us questions about stuff that we're already going to talk about on the podcast, we're probably not going to use it for well, listener mail. I don't know. First of all, I don't think we want to encourage people to try and get too obscure with their questions just to make sure that it's not something we're already planning on talking about. Cause that's, that's going to get, you know, how many Bellator questions do you really want to answer? Uh, I thought we would do a whole show. <laughs> second of all, you can still get us to answer your question if it's already something on a topic that we're going to talk about, but if you have a different take on it. However, this batch of UFC 151 questions kind of split up into two camps. Yeah, it was mostly either people people re- phrasing and request, rephrasing the question, how bad does John Jones suck? <laughs> or phrasing and rephrasing the question, aren't we all being a little too hard on John Jones? Yeah. So. And we'll get to that, but uh, yeah, we did get some some good questions on other topics, and since as soon as we get past listener mail, we're going to completely ignore other topics for the rest of the show, pretty much, we might as well get to some of that now. That's right. So the first question this week comes from Pedro the Wolf Oliveira. Nice! Yeah, absolutely. Um, Hired a hitman for a drug cartel, I imagine. I can only assume. Okay. Pedro asks, why won't... Why don't we get more globalized cards down here in Brazil? I'm kind of tired of only seeing our guys fighting around here. Fuck. Give us Rory versus Penn. Sonnen versus Griffin. Dot, dot, dot. No, you're not getting that. You know, here's your problem. The UFC has pegged you as a bunch of, you know, Brazilian fighter homers. They think that you'll, you'll pay for absolutely fucking anything as long as there are, you know, it, it's the UFC and there are some Brazilian fighters on the card. And they are also, they pegged you kind of like they did to Canada uh, at some point, where it was just like, these people are crazy for MMA. All we have to do is put together a show, go down there, put some local guys on the card, boom, sell out. If you really want to make the message, send the message that you need some, some big fights 
uh, in order to get you interested, then stop buying the tickets for absolutely anything. Uh, I don't think you're going to do it, though. Pedro the Wolf, I'm calling your bluff. Yeah, I had never even considered the fact that uh, Brazilian MMA fans might be tiring of watching Brazilian MMA fighters do their thing live and in person, and I would wager that the UFC hasn't considered it either. So. Yeah. I don't know, maybe Pedro the Wolf Oliveira needs to send an email to uh, Dana White and just voice his opinion that they would like to see some more international flavor. Also, beware the cautionary tale of the UFC's UK expansion. Everybody was uh, over there was really excited about that, and mm, then as soon as the UFC yeah. discovered some other new markets, kind of ignored that one. True. And we, it seems like at least once a week get a mailbag email from somebody in the UK saying, what the fuck? Why doesn't the UFC come back here? So, you know, don't let that be you, Pedro the Wolf. So you're saying maybe you just be happy with what you've got. Yeah, or just, you know, keep find some way to communicate that you would like big cards, but without making it seem to the UFC as though they have tapped out that market and should just move on to, you know, doing five shows a year in Macau. The second question this week comes from Manuel Herwig, who asks, Frankie Edgar just announced his drop to featherweight, and I am honestly shocked he did this. Wow, really? That's just me editorializing. That <laughs> okay. wasn't part of Manuel's question. Uh, lightweight holds many more intriguing matchups for him. It is the more marketable weight class. Given its stacked talent pool, chances are the tide will change. Hand, the title will change hands again soon, and then Edgar will be quote unquote back in the mix. At featherweight, he'll go the, ra- the way of Ken Flo. One fight nobody cares about, followed by an Aldo stomping. Only Frankie can't retire. What am I missing? Is this really a good move? Uh, well, yeah, Manuel, it's a, it's the best movie could have made given the situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm surprised. You, yeah, I'm surprised that Manuel was surprised. Well, or Manuel, I guess I'm probably pronouncing also, his name wrong. No great surprise there. The first of all, it seems to me like career wise, if you want to get a title shot, if you want to get yourself back in the mix, I mean, th- what's stopping Frankie Edgar from going down the featherweight, have, seeing taking his chances there, seeing how things play out. If the, the title does chase hands at lightweight, who says he can't move back up and wait and get back in the mix there? I don't see that it's an either-or proposition there. Also, why are we just assuming that he's going to get stomped by Jose Aldo? That is weird. A lot of people are doing that. I would say that the majority of... We've gotten a couple questions about this, and, and I've seen some people talking about it on Twitter. I would say the, the majority of people I've seen have assumed a, an Aldo victory in a fight with, with Frankie Edgar, which I think is uh, not, maybe not specious, but also, I mean, it's not a, it's not a foregone conclusion. Yeah, that's not a I would, given. I would think that Frankie Edgar would, would probably be a, a, uh, a more difficult matchup for Jose Aldo than perhaps we've seen from well, him. And here's the thing. At least in the UFC. It's weird to me to hear someone being like, well, he should stay at lightweight because he could still be a champion there, although he can't go down to featherweight because there's no way he could be a champion there. I mean, think about, can you think of another situation where somebody's like, hey, you could be a champion in this weight class but not down a weight class? Usually it works the other way around, right? right where it's yeah. like you couldn't go up in weight. But anybody, usually we assume, like, if you could physically get down there then you have to like the bigger guy's chances a little bit. Here, just writing it off as if, oh, no, well, sure, you could be lightweight champ, but featherweight? Oh, no, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, the, the I think we said it last week, or a couple weeks ago I said it on the podcast, and it's still true that the, the shortest distance between Frankie Edgar and another UFC title shot is at featherweight. Yeah. He goes down to 145. I think he probably only has to win one fight, and then they, they put him in there against against Jose Aldo, whereas if he stays at lightweight... Man, who knows that that you know the the there's been so many rematches and the lightweight uh, contender pool is so deep it could be a, he could be waiting a while. So, uh, sorry, Manuel, to say we we both agree that this was the right move and we're not sure what exactly you're missing. Uh, question three this week comes from Nick, who says my wife wants to take me to the UFC on Fox Five. Parenthetically, yep, read it and weep, suckers. Now, nice. I don't. Do you think he meant that? For us, or was he referring to like other listeners of the podcast? That well, um, maybe maybe we're all suckers. We just don't realize it. Maybe so. I don't know. Anyway, do uh, suckers know that they're suckers? I don't think so. <laughs> Nick goes on. Since we live in Alaska and likely won't make it to many UFC events, I don't want to waste this opportunity with bad seats. What are some of the better places to sit? Uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, Not where I thought this question was going. No, it took took kind of a took kind of a left turn there halfway through okay. to become what I consider to be a much more easy question to answer. Yeah. Okay. As we said a couple of weeks ago, uh, halfway up or so in the lower bowl section, that's where you want to be. Um, that said, I thought where he was going to go with this was 
My wife wants to take me to the UFC on Fox 5. We live in Alaska, not going to get a chance to see. But is it safe this far out to buy tickets and book travel and do all that stuff since... Lately, we've seen that cards really are subject to change. Yes. Sometimes yeah. a lot of change. Yeah, subject to change or to just disappear entirely. <laughs> that's what I thought he was going to ask. Is that, because that's what I would be wondering if I were coming, trying to pick one fight card I want to go to. Yeah, that's, that looks like a hell of a fight card. But lately, how do you not, how you're not a little gun shy thinking, I wonder if it's still going to be the same lineup or even close to the same lineup by yeah. the time we actually get down there. For all you know, you could fly from Alaska to, I don't know where you would have to fly, to Seattle, to Salt Lake City, to wherever they're having <laughs> UFC on Fox 5, and uh, you might end up watching Jake Ellenberger versus Jay Hyron, yeah. for all you know, because Josh Kostrak could get hurt. Jacob Volkman versus Shane Roller in the main event. Main, co-main event. Um, so yeah, we like as Ben said a couple weeks ago, we talked about it. You know, floor seats, I think, are enticing, but I think I don't think you want to go there unless you can get really, really close. And I'm talking front row because not only when you're on the floor will some tall guy stand up in front of you pretty much the whole time. Uh, but the thing that a lot of people, when you don't actually go to the shows, realize is that the UFC cameramen will stand on. Yeah, the, photographers will have their their heads in the way and yeah, all that kind of crap. Cameramen like stand up on these little perches around all of the the like ring posts for the octagon some of those guys um they're a little bit portly and so <laughs> you know you can miss a lot when the action's going on well, right, and plus, right behind those guys the octagon is elevated uh, a little bit if you're on the floor then it's it's happening a little bit above you and so uh, you don't have as good a view if you're a little bit over it like if you're halfway up in that bowl then you're kind of looking down into the cage not even through the the mesh of the cage entirely um much better view i feel yeah, and, and you know, right before we go into round one, do you think we should we should mention that this was a bit of a sad week in co-main event podcast land because the grand prize for our previous white elephant essay contest, which we had sent through the mail to the winner, was returned to us yeah. by the U.S. Postal Service as damaged. Yeah, um, and it, it it doesn't look great right no, now. No, it doesn't. I mean, the it seems like the the actual grand prize item still totally intact. Yeah, undamaged. Maybe and this. I'm going to say human error yeah. <laughs> is to blame here. We did not think that maybe if we put it in one of these big padded envelopes that the corners of the frame would tear through the paper and then the Postal Service would be concerned that we were crazy people trying to send a bomb or something and then they end up sending it back. So now we got we got to find a fucking box somewhere and put this thing in there and, and do it right because yeah. uh, I don't want to have to go down to go in Postal and retrieve this thing again. It, it's, no. So if you're out there and you're still waiting for your CME White Elephant Essay Contest prize to arrive in the mail, know that some of them have been waylaid. Uh, and But this week we'll get the final international ones posted, and we will also put this awesome picture of Anderson back in the mail uh, because it, it was returned to us. But enough housekeeping. As for now, we'll just go ahead and segue directly into round number one. Well, now that we've all had a few days to cool off, I hope that we are secure in demonstrating that what we're really talking about when we talk about the ultimate demise of UFC 151 are two related but separate incidents. Incident number one, I suppose, would be John Jones turning down the opportunity to fight Chael Sonnen on nine days notice after uh, his original bout with Dan Henderson was scrapped when Dan Henderson uh, partially tore his MCL, I believe. Maybe that's incident one. Dan that Henderson be. partially tears his MCL, that could spends be a couple one. weeks trying to see if he can go still, yeah. then tells the UFC, you know, two weeks before the fight or whatever. So let's call that it. incident zero. Incident, incident 1A. one is John Jones turning down the fight with Jail Sonnen. Incident two or three, depending on <laughs> whose numbering system you want to follow, uh, was the UFC canceling UFC 151 outright. Um, so maybe it would be beneficial for us to just work backwards a little, way, a little bit. Um, ben, it seemed like initially there was a lot of furor over the cancellation of UFC 151. And obviously Dana White uh, pretty much blamed John Jones for it on the conference call that we all sat in on 
on Thursday, I believe. Um, but, but I mean, I think maybe we've softened that a little bit. The general public maybe has come around to this idea, uh, which clearly is more factually accurate over the next, over the, you know, the last few days that Jones isn't really to blame for the entire cancellation of UFC 151. That, you know, if, if you are one of these fans that, uh, is angry that your Labor Day Saturday, uh, television plans have been canceled, or you're one of these fighters that's looking to recoup these lost wages, uh, you really need to put this at the feet of the UFC, not necessarily at the feet of the light heavyweight champion, which who, I guess you would say, didn't really have anything to do with the, the cancellation of the show. Well, like, you can't say he didn't have anything to do with it, but he does not have that power. Right. He cannot cancel a UFC event. Doesn't He just can't do it. So accusing him of that, yeah, that's unfair. That Only the UFC can cancel a card. And as has been pointed out, and I think is a, is a just criticism, it is more the UFC's fault than they would admit uh, because uh, the rest of the fight card was not strong enough on its own, and they knew that. And that's why that's why Dana White had to cancel it. And, that, and of course, he goes on there and blasts John Jones. And sure, if John Jones had agreed to fight Chael Sonnen, then we'd still have an event. But because he wouldn't, if there had been, let's say, a better co-main event uh, that they could bump up and say, okay, now this is our, our main event. Yeah, Carr would have been weaker, obviously, without the, the title up for grabs, without John Jones there, but still could have had a fight card. Whereas here, the rest of the card, they had put too much faith in the main event there, saying this is what's going to pull us through. And then when you lose that, they're like, well, okay, Dennis Seaver versus uh, Eddie... I can't I can't pronounce that guy's last name. Eddie Yagen? Is it Eddie Yagen? Yeah. Yagen? I think it's just Yagen. Okay, well... Uh, that's on this card. Where do I sign? Where do I sign to pay for this? <laughs> well, see, How much? Fifty four ninety nine. That's a bargain. That's <laughs> give a me bargain. two. I'll yeah, take two. I'll give me two of them. But uh, interestingly enough, Dana White specifically kind of lambasted the idea that this somebody asked him on the conference call whether or not this was a sign of the fact that they're having too many cards and that these the the lineups for these events are watered down and hey to their you know in their defense part of this isn't their fault because yeah, they, they lost, lost Josh they lost Josh Koscheck to injury um but if you would have even had one other marketable fight you probably still could have put this on so you know oddly enough on the conference call Dana White kind of went off i wouldn't say on a rant, but like on kind of a mini rant inside. The whole thing was a rant. Yeah, yeah. It was this was a mini rant inside of his much larger rant <laughs> that was like forty five minutes. A long sub rant about how like people say that they're doing too many events and that the cards are are watered down, but that people don't know shit. And people were saying you know different stuff eight years ago, and but that the UFC knows exactly what they're doing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Even though it, it seems to fly in the face of that point of view that that. We were all there on that conference call to hear about this canceled event because the only marketable fight on the card got canceled. Yeah, I mean, that's what do you expect him to say there? Yeah, no, we are doing way too many events, which we're obviously going to keep doing for the rest of the year at least. Uh, I mean, he's not going to say that. So, of course, he has to offer some kind of defense. And, you know, that's, that's promoter talk right there. The promoter's never going to tell you, yeah, no. You're right, man. You guys should just be skipping some of these. <laughs> Honestly, I would. I don't know what you guys are thinking watching all of these. Christ, I just get the cliff notes on some of them. No, he's not going to do that. So, uh, not surprised that Dana White has that take. But I think we can we can look around and tell that's what's happening. I mean, you you look at the rest of this card, and that's I think though maybe a good reminder at this point for the UFC that one of the things that made the UFC so successful is that they did not use that boxing model where, hey, it's clear that you're paying for the main event. You know, you'll get a couple other fights just for the hell of it, but you, the money you put down is for the main event and that only, and that's what sells it. That's why boxing now can only do a couple big events a year because they have to have that huge main event to get you to pay that money. Uh, the UFC had built that model where they're selling you the full card. They're so, you're, you're paying because you probably want to see the entire main card, or at least you know three fights on that main card are going to be ones that, that you feel are worthy of paying for. And that should, be, that should be the metric that they still use. I mean, I know it's, it's going to get tougher if you keep putting on a bunch of cable TV cards and you have a couple network shows and everything. I mean, you just don't have enough fighters to, to meet that demand. But... They should not forget that, that that was their path to success. Yeah. And at this point, don't you think that they have enough depth on the roster that even if they still did the same number of free shows 
and maybe just scaled back the pay-per-views a little bit, that they would still have enough guys to like staff all of the free shows with these guys who are up-and-comers and guys that don't really have that much name recognition, but then to sort of preserve the integrity of the pay-per-views by still offering the kind of, you know, stacked three or four fight main card pay-per-views that they used to do because it seems to me like they do that you know and maybe that's what we'll see them go to in the future it just seems like uh they're not really it doesn't seem like they're differentiating a whole lot between these undercard fights televised but undercard fights that you get on a pay-per-view or on like a show on fox well i think the first year of the fox deal has put them where they have a a foot in each world there where it used to be so pay-per-view driven and now they have have to fill so many cable tv and, and just free TV in one form or another slots um, that they're still trying to keep their, their pay-per-view revenue up uh, without you know putting too much away for free. And so they're not quite sure how to balance it yet. But, uh, you know, I feel like we're kind of getting away from the whole, right, the, right. the core issue here, the John Jones pool. Okay, here's the thing. Yeah. I, I wonder how this reaction would have been different if this had been somebody who, I don't want to say had a better relationship with the fans than John Jones does, but just did not have the PR problems that John Jones has had right. in the last couple of years, where it seems like people want to hate John Jones. Yeah, and and let's just put it this way: I'm all, I'm the guy who sits here every week and says, you know, don't don't fight if you're hurt. Don't fight if you're hurt. You are that guy. And I and I don't want and I don't blame Dan Henderson for this. And I don't want to imply that I think guys should fight when they're hurt. But just as a, like a very specific example, what would have been the public reaction had John Jones? pulled out of this fight with Dan Henderson eight days before the event because of a partially torn MCL, which Dana White said on the conference call didn't need surgery and also said that Dan Henderson could have fought if he wanted to. Here's, here's Dana White's quote from the conference call about this injury. Can he fight with it? Yes, I guess if he really wanted to go out there, White said, but, it w- but he wouldn't be 100%. He'd have lim- limited lateral movement. Even in the top position in wrestling, his knees really hurt him really bad. And that I cribbed from a, an SI story uh, this week, but he did, I believe he said that on the conference call. And, but I mean, like, if you said that about a guy with less political capital than Dan Henderson and said it... Who is like the Teflon motherfucking Don of them. It. He can be on believe TRT. It. He can pull out of a title fight with an injury. Nothing sticks to this guy. Everyone still loves him, Hendo. Yeah. So uh, I do think, yeah, the, it's another situation where I feel like John Jones can't really win. But just to back it up, you know, to to incident one or incident one A, so to speak, <laughs> is this should John Jones have just taken the fight with Chael Sonnen? Because immediately when it happened, I wrote a thing on, on ESPN and I still kind of feel this way that I understand why Jones turned down the fight, you know, philosophically and ideology, ideologically. He's got nothing to gain by fighting Chael Sonnen. Uh, he had just had this kind of crazy and oddly timed Twitter beef with Chael Sonnen where the end result was he wasn't going to give Chael Sonnen the time of day and wasn't going to let him just talk his way into a fight. Uh, so I understand that. However, in like a practical, in the practical yes. application of this decision, I can't, it's sort of honestly beyond me that when all these smart guys sat down in a room in Albuquerque to figure out what Jones was going to do, that someone didn't say, hey, John, you know, this is a shitty situation. This sucks. But this is almost a fight that we have to take. Yeah. Just because the public relations blowback is going to be so intense if not, we turn it down. And yeah. not only that, but don't you think that they had to know that the UFC was just going to bury them yeah. for this? If they, you know, these are people who have been working with the UFC for long enough to know or should have been able to predict what the reaction from the UFC. That's the thing. It, it is one of those situations where you're like, yeah, theoretically, in, in, a, in a perfect world, I can totally understand your decision. When you explain it to me, it makes sense. The reasoning is sound. However, in the world that we actually live in, especially the world that you, a UFC champion, live in, it's a terrible idea not to take that fight. It is. It, you know, and it's like you're, you are being put in a shitty situation. It is unfair of them to ask that of you. At the same time, Saying no is going to be so much worse than saying yes, regardless of what happens. Like, e- even if he if he took that fight against Chael Sonnen, and I can understand why you don't want to, because, hey, if you're going to ask me to tell you some of the situations in which Chael Sonnen could beat John Jones in a fist fight, I would say maybe the top situation right. is one where John Jones has to take the fight on short notice or switch opponents on short notice, doesn't really have a chance to prepare for him. I mean, yeah. Chael Sonnen is no joke. If you don't have a chance, Jones and the Greg Jackson camp, really big into preparation, especially mental preparation. So, yeah, I can understand why they feel like that's that kind of switch is, is 
not anything they want to be a part of. At the same time, though, you have to be able to look at that and think, man, the UFC, that they're not going to forget this. Yeah. Like, not it's not going to be the kind of thing where they're angry at you for a couple of months and then everything's right. cool again. And I feel like it was such a bad public relations move that it even it would have even been better for Jones to take the fight and lose. Yeah, because then you can say, hey, look, I had to switch opponents on it. You, yeah. get, you can I get it. I had three days of preparation yeah. before I had to start my weight cut. And you if can, you're the champion in that situation, obviously they give you a uh, immediate rematch, yeah, at which point you get to. an entire training camp for Chael, to train for Chael Sonnen. And if you're John Jones, you go out there and whip his ass in a, a And you make and more money seconds. on the rematch than you do the first time around. Yeah, you shrug with that look on your face, like after you drop Machida on his face <laughs> on the canvas, and you walk away. End of story. Yeah. Then maybe you fight Dan Henderson, like four months after that or whatever. But now, now the UFC, I mean, this... This is not like even in the same zip code PR disaster and uh, UFC being mad at you wise as, you know, crashing your Bentley that they bought you into a telephone pole. Yeah. This is like, you know, running over a bunch of kindergartners with that Bentley uh, while you had a bunch of transgendered hookers in the back. That's what this is. Like that, it's completely, I mean, the kind of thing where the UFC is not going to say, hey... We all we all got a little heated there. We all said some things we didn't mean. Let's be cool again. No, they're gonna remember this. You cost them a lot of money, force them, to, you know, not force them, but put them in a position where they decided to cancel an event. Uh, this is gonna come back on you, yeah. you know, for a long time. Yeah, and and another strange kind of iteration of this of this conversation is that everybody was really pissed at John Jones for turning down this fight against Chael Sonnen. And I guess I would ask, where is the furor over Lyoto Machida and uh, Mauricio Shogun Hua then a day later turning down the opportunity to fight John Jones on, I think, 29 days notice? Yeah. Okay. Because that seems to indicate, like, we just don't like John Jones. So yeah. we're mad at him. For, among I'm, I'll say on the part of the fans. Yes. We just don't like John Jones, so we're kind of picking on him for turning down this fight. And we're not really going to say shit about Machida yeah. and they are they are different it. situations in that I think with John Jones the thing that a lot of people jumped to immediately was hey he's the champion. The champion should be willing to do this. The cha- which I don't know if that that makes sense at all. I mean the the champion should be in more of a position to call some shots if anything. But that's the thing people jumped on immediately. The champion ought to be willing, you know, the champion should not turn down a fight. The champion should always say yes, take on whoever whenever. Uh I mean, the thing is that the, nobody. If you take that to its log- logical conclusion, I mean, eventually, it's you've got to acknowledge that it would be possible for the UFC to ask too much. Yeah. Like, what if they said, "All right, hey, uh, three days before the fight, the only person who will take it is Junior Dos Santos." Uh, how about that? Cooler fight than having him fight Vito Belfort, <laughs> yes. though, right? Hey, Junior, he can get down to two fifteen. What do you say? Catch weight bout. We need you. We need you on this one, big guy. We need you to be a team player. I mean, eventually you're going to get to the point where everyone, or at least reasonable people, would be like, no, too much. Uh, but to act as if the champion is somehow obligated to say yes no matter what, I think ignores that possibility. And then, yeah, you, you turn around uh, with other guys who turn down the fight, and you're like, oh, well, yeah, no, Machida wants to make sure that he gets the most out of his next shot because he knows he probably won't get a third one if, if he screws this one up. Yeah, no, it's perfectly reasonable. It is reasonable in the same way that it was reasonable for John Jones to turn down Chael Sonnen. But, yeah, not the same blowback at all for Machida, not even close. Yeah, I think we're dealing out of the bottom of the deck there a little bit for the, for those for those people. Anyway, coming up in round two, we will we are going to discuss the the philosophy and the 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 fabric of the sport and this whole idea that guys who are professional athletes should in fact be in this position of of accepting short notice fights. But first, we're going to welcome in the self proclaimed world's leading theatricalist, Sir Nigel Longstock, and he is going to lead us through another uh, rendition of everyone's favorite recurring feature here on the podcast, Master Tweet Theater. And that starts right now. And now, Master Tweet Theater. And now we welcome back to the podcast once again, noted theatricalist Sir Nigel Longstock for everyone's favorite segment, Master Tweet Theater. Sir Nigel, how are you? Hello, sir, and a fine smoky day in the mountains to you. 
It is a fine smoky day. I, I hope that this uh, the air is not affecting your weak constitution. I assure you my vocal cords are as limber and well lubricated as always. Well, hopefully you remember to warm up before showing up this time. But those of you who don't know how this works, Sir Nigel is going to read us five tweets from some people in the MMA community. Chad and I will attempt to guess who they are. We'll probably guess the same people we always guess, and we'll probably get about as many wrong as we usually do. Sir Nigel, want to hit us with the first one? Yes, let us begin. <clears throat> Yogi Bear smokes a stogie at the fair. Yogi Bear <laughs> smokes a stogie at the fair. You, sa- you sound ready to me. I am ready, sir. The tweet the first. <clears throat> I just learned that you can say anything in Texas and it's cool, as long as you add bless her heart at the end of it. Taking that back to Cali. Hmm. Thoughts, Chad? Yeah, uh, I was confused there until the end. I think I really got pointed in the right direction. Um, California, I'm just going to free associate a little bit, go with the California kid. I'm going to guess Uriah Faber. That's a pretty good guess. He is one of the few people I think still using the term Cali with a reckless abandon. I'm going to go with another another Cali referencer. I think maybe Jake Shields? Both fine guesses, but one much better than the other. It is, in fact, Uriah Faber. Boom. Damn it. That's, oh, that was pretty good. One for one. All right. Want to hit the next one? Yes, sir. Tweet the second. <clears throat> The disrespectful dumbass fans gonna be the reason why fighters might not take them fights for y'all wanna see. Fairweather. What? <laughs> this this tweet definitely expands the boundaries of the English language. The disrespectful dumbass fans gonna be the reason why fighters might not take them fights for y'all wanna see. Fairweather. Okay. So we're looking at someone who seems to have no small amount of disdain for the fans, or at least the disrespectful dumbass fans. Maybe that's just a, a segment of the fan population. I'm going to say Rampage Jackson, who is who does not like MMA fans, only likes Rampage Jackson fans. Well, that's a, that's a good guess. Uh, I have no idea on this one, so I'm going to assume that whoever tweeted this was sticking up for John Jones uh, in the immediate ap- aftermath of the UFC 151 debacle. So I'm going to guess uh, teammate uh, Leonard Garcia. Huh. Both fine guesses, both well-educated, and both, as usual, wrong. King Mo Lawal is the author of this tweet, telling well, his dumbass fans to stop following him on Twitter. That Now that makes sense, actually. King Mo has been known to go off on some dumbass, disrespectful fans from time to time. Okay, next up. <clears throat> Tweet the third. I heard Planned Parenthood wants to sponsor John Jones giving seminars about the pullout method. Whoa! Zing! Oh, wow. Thank you for wow. that, Internet. Also, I don't think it's a good idea for Planned Parenthood to be advocating the pullout method at all. Not an effective method of contraception. Trust me. <laughs> well... I'm going to say, obviously, we're dealing with one of Twitter's jokesters, mm-hmm. uh, which narrows it down a bit. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and choose, Chad, one of your favorites before you can get there and say Matt Mitrione. Good guess. That's not where I was going to go, though. I'm going to go a little bit closer to home with well-known Republican and uh, Twitter burnologist uh, going with the opportunity to insult John Jones and Planned Parenthood in one fell swoop. And uh, I don't know if there's if it's that original, but I'm going to say Chael Sonnen. Huh, okay. A fine guess. Chael Sonnen is technically a burnographer, however, <laughs> and this tweet comes from Miguel Angel Torres. Wow. Yeah. Noted Angel. jokester. Yeah. Also, I think you overthought that one in trying to turn it also into an anti-Planned Parenthood statement. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I, I felt like I went with the easiest possible guess. You, you want a joke to work on multiple levels. Fighters trying to be funny on Twitter will settle for half a level. So you think I have my expectations are too high? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think Torres is merely opposed to girls getting pregnant. <laughs> Tweet the fourth. Just put "How do you get" in Google, and "How do you get pink eye" was the number one hit. Hashtag wash your hands, people. Hashtag don't fart on pillows. Huh. What farting on pillows? I believe that is a reference to Knocked Up, the comedy that you left before my scene. (laughs) I I, I did leave as soon as I heard you had a scene in there. Um, Well, so somebody who will stick around for the movies that I will leave. 
I don't know if that really narrows it down any, but this one seems just weird enough that it might be the poet Philip Baroni. Hmm. That's not what I would have thought. I am. I would be remiss, I suppose, if I spent an, an episode of Master Tweet Theater and did not mention Matt Mitrione, so I'm going to go ahead and guess Matt Mitrione. Both fine guesses, both terribly wrong. It is, in fact, not Matt Mitrione, nor the poet Philip Baroni, but the muse of herstory, Rhonda Rousey. Huh. Oh, All right. Okay, well, yeah. Sure. Rhonda Rousey Did is... Did she have pink eye, or was it just, just a... I don't know. And also, what was she trying to get out of that Google search? Just ha- wondering how you get something. Well, and then she got horribly distracted. Yes, hint. Judo is how you got that. <laughs> <laughs> Tweet the fifth. Sitting outside listening to my fave hate music on Pandora with my boys wishing I was fighting September 1st. Mm. Hashtag thinking of you, Jones. Or thinking of Foo Jones. Unclear. Uh, hate music on Pandora? I assume racial hate music, yes. Pandora plays that? Otherwise. Oh, of course. You, don't, you haven't listened to my screwdriver station on Pandora? <laughs> wow, okay. Well, this one's kind of weird, Chad. You want to you take a shot at this? Yeah, I'm probably you're probably going to charge me with overthinking it again. Uh, I am going to go with a guy who was supposed to fight at UFC 151, obviously, but also a guy who might not fully understand the inappropriateness of this particular tweet. Uh, Jacob Volkman is where I'm going to go with that. That's actually a really good guess. I I probably would have said that one. Now I can't though. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna just go there and I'm gonna say Dennis Seaver. He was also supposed to fight on this card. I'm just saying. Yeah. Siva's people do have a questionable history, but no, it is noted inappropriator Jacob Volkman. Oh, boom, that's two. Thankfully not mentioning the president this time. First of all, what the hell, Pandora, has a hate music station? Also, uh, why isn't Jacob Volkman allowing us all to hear this hate music station he's come up with on Pandora? Yeah, I, I, w- I would start with just having numerous questions by what he means exactly by hate music. Like, is he listening to Limp Biscuit or is he listening to <laughs> Screwdriver, as Sir Nigel pointed out? Surely he means music he hates. So, so Taylor <laughs> Swift there you and go. Barry Manilow, just to psych himself up. Yeah, and just sitting around thinking of all the things he hates, including, apparently, John Jones. Well, that'll do it for this installment of Master Tweet Theater. Sir Nigel, you have any more of your terrible projects you want to plug? Yes, sir. Next week, I will be in the Poconos playing the soda store owner in the sequel to Our Town, Our Town versus Mothra. <laughs> you know... I don't know who your agent is, but he should probably be not only fired, but also killed. His name is Marty Feldman. Thank you. (laughs) That was Sir Nigel Longstock, and that was Master Tweet Theater. Round two. In MMA, we've long been fed this line of reasoning, uh, this belief that to be a quote-unquote real fighter or, you know, I guess hearkening back to the days when Dana White showed up on the inaugural season of The Ultimate Fighter and asked everyone what may have turned out to be the iconic question of his tenure as UFC president. Do you want to be a fucking fighter? That's right. Uh, we've been confronted with this notion that a real fighter or like an actual fighter, a legitimate fighter, whatever you want to call it, will fight anyone, anytime, any place, anywhere for almost any price or any reason. And the UFC is probably not responsible for that because I believe that that, uh, that belief and that view probably predates uh, Zufa LLC's tenure as in owning the sport and being the most powerful MMA promoter in the world. But they certainly do a lot to propagate it. Um, you know, from their position of power. So I guess maybe first we should just talk about the notion that, you know, these guys are, as professional athletes, one of the things that we not only ask of them, but indeed expect and almost demand is that these guys are willing to sort of take on these late notice challenges when the guy they're supposed to fight gets injured. Because when you really stop and think about it, it kind of seems nonsensical. So like, where does this come from? Like, what is it about why do we think this, and, and why, why is this like the status quo in, in MMA? Well, for one thing, if John Jones's refusal to change opponents and take on Chael Sonnen on eight days' notice makes him a fake fighter and not a real fighter, god 
damn, he is a good fake fighter. Maybe the best. Maybe the best fake fighter ever. I mean, that's that's the first thing. Second of all, of course the UFC makes a virtue out of the willingness to do whatever the UFC asks. Yeah. Because that is in their best interest. You know, it's like... Uh, all, all that stuff Plato had about how you craft a, a great society. Like, well, yeah, you want to idolize uh, a lot of the virtues in your people, such as sacrificing for the good of your society, because that will help the people at the top. That that will help you run a smooth ship there. Of course, the, the UFC pushes that. Uh, but, I mean, the fans have really bought into that idea that, hey, we d- we expect you... like, if, And it's a thing the UFC will do sometimes to burn guys if they're mad at them, where... A guy turns down a fight, and then the UFC kind of feeds it to the press. Like, hey, well, we offered this fight to these other guys. They said no. I mean, a lot more people say no to fights than you hear about. In, in you know, it's only when the UFC kind of wants to get back at them a little bit that they feed that out there. I mean, there are, I've talked to a bunch of managers about this this week, especially. Wait, I thought in 1,800 fights, no one had ever, had ever <laughs> turned down a fight before. I mean, it's a lot... There, from talking to the managers about it, there's a lot, and I'll have a, a piece later this week, uh, one online, and I think we're probably going to do a shorter one in USA Today this week, um, kind of about the the other side of the managers talking about their perspective on this. But I've talked to a bunch of guys about it today, and a lot of them are saying, hey, sometimes it's not the UFC coming to you and saying, we need you to take this fight. Sometimes they'll call you up and say, could this guy be ready by October 1st? And you talk to the guy, and you make a decision, and or sometimes they'll say, we want your guy to fight this this opponent on this date and they talk about it and decide we don't really like that fight now depending on who the guy is and what his negotiating position is you can do that sometimes you can you can turn down a couple or say you'd prefer a different fight or suggest something else you can't do it forever i mean obviously your guy's got to fight at some point but this idea that like everybody else in the ufc is constantly ready to jump in there and fight whoever and they don't give a damn uh, and then every once in a while, when somebody pisses off the UFC by doing that, that's when it gets fed to the media and the fans would jump on it and call that guy a pussy. There are no pussies in the UFC. Let's just say that. that, that that's kind of... That thinking... I don't know why, why it is that MMA fans are so ready to call professional cage fighters cowards. Yeah. That just... That doesn't really exist. Not only professional cage fighters, but John Jones, who's probably <laughs> yes. the best one in the world. Uh, the the thing that is surprising to me, I think maybe most, is not, I mean, yeah, I think we're in agreement that, like you just said, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that why the UFC, quote unquote, likes guys who step up and, you know, will fight anyone that they want to. And some to. guys have to do that. That's their value. Like, they're not a John Jones, you know? Yeah, but and I mean, but, but, but like when Dana White just lavishes this praise on Chael Sonnen for uh, saying he'd fly out that night to fight John Jones anywhere in Las Vegas, which, hey, as an aside, if you are attending the sickbed of your girlfriend's father, who apparently had just had a stroke, uh, this all according to, to Dana White on the, on the conference call, if that's where you are and somebody calls you up and is like, hey, man, we need you to come fight, and you're like, oh, I'll do that right now. I'll fly out there <laughs> right now and fight John Jones anywhere. Dude, you have a problem. Like well, that's not a that's not a positive personality trait, I don't think. Although it is kind of amazing that when all the finger pointing around this fight card cancellation started happening, the one person you could not point a finger at, the one person who came out looking the best, is Chael Sonnen. You're shaking your head no. No, you I'm disagree. Shak- no, I'm totally in agreement with you. I'm shaking my head in both disbelief and just like kind of ruining that fact. And, I, <laughs> and in fact, I might talk about that later. In just saying stuff, if we do if we do one this week, okay, I see. Uh, uh, but here's here's what I was gonna say originally. Like the thing to me that's surprising is not that the UFC likes these these fighters that like quote unquote step up, which is kind of a loaded term to begin with. But the fighters themselves, a lot of them seem to like rally around this point. And we saw guys like uh, Charlie Brenneman and and Jacob Volkman like speak up on Twitter after after this uh, John Jones things happened and very much blame John Jones for it. And if you needed a, a, a physical piece of evidence of why there will never be a fighters union in mixed martial arts, all you need to do is look at those tweets where, you know, if you if the UFC would would have broken the fighters union on that day <laughs> had that had there have been one but it's just weird to me that like fighters kind of stand up for this ideal and you and I once sat at a table where a guy who's an MMA fighter who everyone knows on this podcast and he told us 
Like that he thought George St. Pierre was the best athlete in mixed martial arts, but not the best fighter because he didn't think that George St. Pierre would quote unquote step up and fight anyone, anytime, anyplace, anywhere. And to me, that's just kind of a weird idea. So not only is it like the who, promoter who said this, I, I don't who, who was this? Well, I was not going to say because we were kind of off the record at the time. Okay. So I don't remember this. But... All right. Well, I'll tell you after we go off the air, but, uh, um, it's it's just weird to me that the fans and that that not only that promoters and fans do this, but fighters, guys who are the actual labor force, the workforce in MMA, like a lot of them fall in line for this situation, which seems to fly directly in the face of of like what would be good for them. Well, and also the thing is, and you can make this argument though from both sides because a lot of people I saw criticize John Jones saying, "Hey, weren't a couple of weeks ago weren't you just saying that you fight for the money?" Uh, there would have been a lot of money in this for you. And that's true. There would have been yeah. more money for him yeah. in taking that Chael Sonnen fight than in doing you know, a fight with Vitor Belfort in Toronto. Uh, he's going to lose money on this deal. Yeah, and, the weird, the weird, I don't want to interrupt you, but the weird part about this is that apparently John Jones's camp framed it as a business decision, which to me seems like the worst business decision yeah. you could possibly it's make. It's the absolute wrong business decision because right. you, you cost yourself money in the short term and in the long term. Uh, it's it's a bad business decision in that sense. And so I think a lot of people pointed that out, that, hey, uh, if you are so concerned with the money, it would have been a good re- reason to do it for that reason too. I mean, and, and that's true. But I think a lot of the guys who idolize that, that mentality of, hey, I don't care, I'll step up, whatever. And I've, I've heard, I have actually heard managers and fighters do this thing where they say, oh, well, yeah, the UFC is going to take care of him. He'll take care of him. There'll be a little appreciation, a little extra appreciation for the guy afterwards, if you know what I mean, you know, for stepping up or for, for doing something here to help him out. And then I've talked to some of those same guys afterwards and said, so has that appreciation come through in a way that you were hoping for? And I've heard them say, actually, I was kind of hoping for a little more appreciation than this. I mean, they, they do this kind of thing with this understanding that, hey, it's better to be a company man and it'll all work out in the end. Uh, but... I don't blame some guys every once in a while for thinking about themselves. It's like Dana White will blast a guy for, oh, this is such a selfish decision he made. It's a selfish decision. It's a selfish sport, man. You ought to be thinking about yourself. If you're not, you know, who, who is going to think about it for you? Because you, you can't put, the, the pr- put that in the hands of the promoter that he's going to take care of you and that he's going to think about it. I mean, for selfish reasons, too, I think it would have been good for John Jones to take that fight. But I, w- I would never fault a fighter for making a selfish decision in, in that sense. Yeah, I mean, it's an individual sport. So the, the notion that John Jones should have felt this, uh, like, responsibility, I guess, to kind of save the card, uh, to me, is, is a little bit, it's kind of like wishful thinking. And, and additionally, like, the Jackson camp has come out since that conference call and say that they weren't, they weren't in fact, told that, just because he yeah. turned down this fight card that the whole thing would be canceled. And maybe if they had known that, they would have thought twice about it. Well, I, don't know. I mean, I traded texts with Greg Jackson about it right after that conference call. And he said, I didn't know the whole card would be canceled. I still think it is a bad idea. But here's the thing. If they did know, like imagine that scenario where they go to John Jones and say, we want you to take Chael Sonnen instead. And John Jones goes and talks to his camp. They talk it over. They say no. And then they come back to the UFC and the UFC tells them, well, if you don't, then we're going to have to cancel the card because there's just not enough there for us to sell. Uh, you still want to say no? I mean, at that point, what do you do there if you're John Jones? Yeah, because, at that point, it's like borderline blackmail. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, if you say at that point, if you capitulate at that point and say, okay, well, if you're going to cancel the card, then fine. Fuck it. I'll do it. Then what's to stop them from using that over and over and over again? I mean, and there was nothing in the past for John Jones. If they, if that had happened, if that scenario had happened. There's nothing in the past that would tell John Jones, "Hey, they'll really do that," because they've never done that before. Right. So you, you, if even if that happened, you could kind of not blame him for thinking, if he thought, "Hey, they're just bluffing," or "Hey, they're just trying to, you know, basically strong arm me into doing this." So. Yeah, I don't know how much stock we want to put in that. It is that's still on the UFC the decision to do that. Yeah. So over the weekend, John Jones issued uh, one of the more classic non-apology apologies, uh, coming out via Twitter and sort of like apologizing for the fact that the UFC 151 card had been canceled, but also just in his wording, like kind of distancing himself and making it clear, like, hey, this wasn't my fault. But if somebody's got to take the blame, yeah, then I'll I, I guess lo- I'll man, do it. I love a good non-apology apology yeah there's a real art to it it's almost like people don't even remember how to do an apology apology yeah well also you cannot like if you're going to be the fall guy and take the blame for something the one thing the fall guy doesn't get to say is 
I'm going to be the fall guy. Yeah. You don't, you can't do that. You can't be like, I'm not really to blame here, but I'm going to accept the blame. That's not accepting the blame. You've just said you don't think you're to blame. Yeah. Um. So I it was weird on a, on a couple of different fronts. One, because I don't believe John Jones to be ultimately responsible for UFC 151's cancellation. Two, because it didn't really sound like he was that sorry. And three, because uh, it came out like a little bit late. And it kind, it kind of came out just at the point when everyone was kind of coming around to the idea that maybe this wasn't his fault. So it was kind of a weird time to apologize. But what I the, the point that I wanted to make was, should he, in fact, just be apologizing for being a little bit ahead of his time? Like, is this concept that fighters need to jump you know when the promoter says jump fighters need to say how high and they need to take a fight on short notice and fight whoever it is is that fading is it becoming less prevalent is the fact that the sport is getting more popular there's more money involved there's more mainstream acceptance these guys are becoming bigger stars will that eventually undermine this idea that we have of fighters as quote-unquote warriors and gladiators etc and replace it with like the far more i would say accurate notion that they're really just professional athletes and they need to do the better the best thing to kind of steer their own careers or do you think that like for we will always be kind of stuck in this situation where because the sport is so like tied in with the idea of toughness and masculinity and machismo that these guys need to step up and take whatever fight is offered on, on any, you know, time frame. Um, did you happen to see the reaction from fans and fellow fighters? Well, uh, I did. To John Jones's refusal I, to fight? I did see it, but then I saw two other guys turn down the fight the next day. Well, I, mean, I didn't see anyone, though, saying, like, no. Thank God John Jones is, is pushing us forward and getting this sport to where it needs to be. The reaction was like 99% negative. Right. I think if, other, if you're a fighter and, you know, maybe a fighter who's going to be a champion or, or going to be at that level in a few years. Like, let's say you're Roy McDonald, all right? And you see the way this whole thing unfolds. What lesson did you take from that? Did you take that, hey... When you're the champion, you should look out for yourself and call your own shots and don't let the UFC talk you into doing anything you don't 100% want to do? Or did you take away the message, don't piss off the UFC because it will go terrible for you. Dana White will call a, a conference call where he will, he will gather the media around so that he can hold court on what a selfish asshole you are. Yeah, no, point well taken. I think it was, I don't know, it, I always struggled to, to try to... Uh you know, figure out how much of this is calculated on the part of the UFC because, you know, when you listen to the guys who run that company talk, they don't sound that calculated. They sound like they're just, you know, shooting from the hip. But at the same time, like, clearly this was a cautionary, presented to us as a cautionary tale for what can happen when a guy gets too big for his britches, regardless of whether or not that, you know, is the actual situation that we're dealing with here. Um I guess we should probably close out this discussion because we've we've uh, we've already gone on too long and 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 we need to move on to to round three. Um, but yeah, did, did, does anyone come out of this besides Chael Sonnen? I think for the better, or is this just a situation where it was just all bad and Vitor Belfort? Yeah, he gets a hell of an opportunity. Yeah, and strange, oh, strange also that the UFC kind of out of both sides of their mouth is like, "Hey, John Jones turned this fight down. We don't, we don't even know what to expect from him anymore." But be sure to tune in next month to watch him fight a middleweight, Vitor <laughs> Belfort at <laughs> UFC 152. Yeah, but hey, uh, on this note, Vitor Belfort being the guy willing to step up and do whatever, man, do whatever, take, he'll fight anybody, anytime, anywhere, <laughs> and God bless him for it. Uh, it I guess that will probably be serve as as good of a segue as we're going to get. We're going to go on to round three where we're going to talk about UFC 152 and all of the the goodies that are in store for us in, in, in that card, you know, coming up here in just a few weeks. So that discussion begins right now. Round three. Chad, now that UFC 151 is no more, now that it will forever be remembered, according to Dana White, as the event that John Jones and Greg Jackson murdered in cold blood. Cough. <laughs> now we move on to UFC 152, September 22nd, Toronto, Canada. That guy the UFC hates versus some other guy who has no business fighting for the light heavyweight title. Here's my question to you. 
When did it become decided during all this that the UFC light heavyweight title simply must be defended against someone in the month of September? And that it would be better for someone who had no business whatsoever fighting for that title to, to get a shot at it. Any living human, basically, get a shot at the light heavyweight title than to let it go undefended for a month or two more. Yeah, How they, did that happen? They called me, but I turned it down. I would want a full training camp. Because you're a pussy. If I was going to prepare you're for it. You're a fake fighter. I'm a craven. I'm a coward. Uh, yeah, weird Weird that they, like we said at the close of the last round, that they kind of buried John Jones one day and then like made sure to tell us to tune in at the very next pay-per-view to watch him fight. Also weird that it seems like they didn't even consider any light heavyweights besides Machida and Hua for this spot, unless a lot of stuff went down behind the scenes that we don't know about, which, hey, it very well could have. But, like, the fact that they were going to stick Sonnen in there and then the fact that they ended up sticking Vitor Belfort in there kind of makes me wonder, you know, where Alexander Gustafson at, frankly? Like, where I would feel like it would even be better for them to put Glover Tashira in there, like a guy who only has one fight in the UFC. Like, you could nitpick that and call it a bullshit matchup and say that he hadn't done anything to deserve that, you know, to get a title shot. But I don't know that Vitor Belfort has done anything to deserve a light heavyweight title shot either. Well, and no, you don't know if he has because he absolutely has not. <laughs> and frankly, according to the odds makers, it's it's like one of the most lopsided fights in the history of fighting, probably going back to the caveman days, <laughs> I would think. I just don't understand why why it has to happen at all costs, that, that John Jones has to fight somebody. Like, if the guy, because it's, you can't, Keep telling us that, like, this is the number one contender. This is the fight that has to happen. This is the... Because it's like there can only be one number one contender at a time, right? Like, otherwise that loses all meaning. If, it, if it's not we're having this fight because it's the logical conclusion of, of what's been happening in the division, then you're just making stuff up. And that's kind of what the UFC has told us, that we're just going to make stuff up and decide, based on circumstances, who gets to fight for the title next. Yeah. And I don't know why, if the number one contender is hurt, Wait for him. If he's going to be out way too long, who's next in line? Okay, that guy wants another month to train? Wait for that. I don't understand why it had to happen right now. Well, yeah, you can't wait too long because you got 42 shows that you've got to put fights on. Well, not 42. I made that up, but... But still, you understand, like, they've got this but UFC what must feel like a relentless schedule. Yeah, and I'm sure if you're it one does. of the people who actually works for the UFC. But, uh, I mean, UFC 152 was already... But at least by the the UFC's standards right now, a complete card. Yeah. It didn't need any more like main card fights added to it necessarily. So it, it's not as if that one was struggling. It's like, oh, we lost a main event from one and we needed a main event for another one. No, this one was already kind of finalized and you just tacked it on. I don't understand why the UFC thought it would be better to have John Jones fight absolutely anyone than to have him wait a month or two and fight somebody that actually made some sense. Yeah, it certainly understands the very idea, or I mean, I was going to say undermines the very idea of having a number one contender because yeah. it, it seems like, well, Dan Henderson's the number one contender, but if Dan Henderson gets hurt, then literally the first person to call Joe Silva on the telephone and say that they want the fight yeah. gets it. Or the first person to just not say no. We're just going to go go down the list, and we're just going to call everybody. And the first person who says, oh, okay, whatever, then that person gets it. And chances are, the first person to say, okay, whatever, is going to be somebody who doesn't have a lot to lose, probably because they have no business getting this opportunity in the first place. The people who are like, well, I have kind of earned this, or at least come very close to earning it, can afford to say no, because they know that it'll be their turn pretty soon anyway. Uh, so it just makes no sense to me to, I mean, maybe, and here's the thing, here's the conspiracy theorist in me. Okay. Is this just a fuck you to John Jones? Uh, because Hey, you screwed us over. You wouldn't help us out when we needed help. Fine. Go fight Vitor Belfort in a fight that nobody will want to watch. There's no upside for you. Uh, you won't make nearly as much money off of it. Go see how that feels. Go see how it feels to, to be in the UFC's doghouse for a little while. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I feel like when the UFC is trying to send a fuck you message, they typically do it by having somebody get their ass kicked. Um, yeah. well, James Tony, for instance. <laughs> uh, it's a lot tougher to do with John Jones. If you could find somebody who could kick his ass, he wouldn't be John Jones. No, true. But like, yeah, maybe, uh, I don't know, in, in that same vein, I can, you know, I think I feel like almost anyone would be a more appropriate or compelling match. And I was going to say, like, 
uh, if you're the UFC and you wanted to teach John Jones a lesson, don't you look for some like smallish heavyweight who can come down? Like, I mean, I don't know if you want to throw a guy like Chad Griggs in there, which would you know have even less name. Mean. That's mean. <laughs> to who? To Chad Griggs? Yeah. Man, Chad Griggs always wins those fights. He's a spoiler. <laughs> well, I mean, being a spoiler in that sense is going to fuck around and get him killed. Is there anything about this Vitor Belfort John Jones fight that is interesting to you? Because to no. me, well, you, I'm going to stop you. It. Well, to me, it, it like if I'm going to reach and just try to get my goddamn arms around the thing <laughs> i would say that like the only thing that is even kind of fun about it is that it's like this old school heavyweight vitor belfort who of course hasn't been that like enormous lightning quick um <laughs> roided up wow uh, heavyweight from wow. the early 2000s for a long time um but to me it's still you know it can, it can it's still kind of cool in the like a uh just to think about, I don't think it's going to be competitive. Like, I don't think that, I think that John Jones probably takes Vitor Belfort down in like 30 seconds and the fight is over before we get to triple digits. But, um, it could be worse. I think could have been worse. They could have got, I don't know, a welterweight or something. (laughs) I don't know. I'm trying to paint a positive spin on this thing. Well, I guess, I mean, I appreciate the attempt. Trying to play devil's advocate. Yeah. The, I mean, but it just feels the more you try that the sadder I get, listening to it because it's just like the the justification is that it could be worse this is not the absolute worst idea <laughs> i guess that, that is a pretty that shitty anybody has ever come up with ufc title fight yeah <laughs> i mean because i think that that is the danger though with when you do this kind of stuff is it's like well hey the champion defends his belt against the the, the best in the world that's what champions do in the ufc the best fight the best here or Whoever we can find. If one of the best gets hurt, we will absolutely scrape the bottom of the barrel yeah. to try to find a replacement. Well, and it just it sends like kind of a a bad message to people who are trying to understand this UFC stuff, this MMA stuff, trying to get into it or who hear about it. Like, well, yeah, this guy that he's fighting, there's no real reason for him to fight, except that, well, hell, we had a fight booked and we wanted him to fight somebody, so we'll just throw whoever in there. Uh, I mean that. That's just a bizarre thing to do in a professional sport. It makes it seem not super professional. If the champion is just fighting a guy who, you know, we needed a body in there for him to beat up on. Like, that doesn't make the UFC look good either. I mean, it it puts John Jones in a no-win situation, but I don't think it's great for the UFC. I don't think they consider that sometimes. Sometimes they get so focused thinking about, we need this guy versus TBA on this date. Uh, And then, I don't know if they think that we're just kind of dumb and will take anything so the as they go down the the possibilities for the tba keep getting more and more implausible and i I think that's bad for all of us let's be honest we are dumb and we will take anything anyway that will probably concludes our discussion of ufc 152 the fallout from the cancellation of ufc 151 uh before we wrap up we're gonna do like we almost always do just saying stuff the part of the show where ben and i each make some kind of outlandish statement uh and are then not asked to defend it in any way because you know when when all is said and done we're just two guys in a room saying stuff um do you have one or do you need some time to think i have one okay go for it i'm just saying that Dan Henderson is so beloved by MMA fans and so above any accusation of wrongdoing, apparently. If Dan Henderson were involved in a plot to assassinate the President of the United States, he could take his teeth out, give us one of those silly grins and, and shrug his shoulders, and MMA fans would instantly forgive him. He would not even do a day of prison time. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, he he had me at that picture of him pushing the barbecue across the street that's been up there. <laughs> I think Sure Dog had that picture years ago. Anyway, uh, I'm just saying, man, why the fuck are we still asking Chael Sonnen stuff? This John Jones, Dan Henderson gets gets hurt and John Jones won't fight him. And the next thing you know, Chael Sonnen's on every TV show in America fucking saying crazy bullshit. Like, why why on earth are we still giving this guy the time of day to ask him questions as if he is going to tell us something useful? Also, who the fuck is this guy's publicist? Because I want that person working for me. Fucking Chael Sonnen got on SportsCenter like two hours after this news broke and John Jones is nowhere to be found. Why are we still asking Chael Sonnen stuff? 
Well, just saying. I feel the need to, to, I know that you're just saying stuff. It's not supposed to be, there's not supposed to be any response. But as someone who interviewed Chelsea and right after he got off SportsCenter, I feel obliged to say that a part of me, uh, when the UFC offered me that, that chance to interview him, a part of me thought what you were saying just now. And another part of me thought, you know, for the sake of my employers, if I turn down a Chael Sonnen interview at this moment, I should be fired because they want that. That's why you're part of the problem, Ben Folkies. Yeah. <laughs> you're, not, you're not part of the solution here. Ben Folkies is part of the problem all the way to the bank, my friend. Anyway, that's the show for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week talking about something. I'm not sure what. We'll figure it out. We've got seven days to do it. Unless my wife decides she's going to pop out a baby. Uh, and then it'll point. be me and Sir Nigel Longstock for an hour just chopping it up. No one wants that. Uh, anyway, th- this has been episode 15 of the Co-Main Event Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas from ESPN.com. That's Ben Folk's knee, Ben Folkies, uh, from USA Today and uh, MMAJunkie.com. We'll be back next week for now. Thanks for listening. That's it. We're done. We're out. Can you just interview out of sheer fear? Out of sheer responsibility? Yeah. Uh, obligation, really. Hey, what do you think? Dan Henderson gets caught in a motel room with dead kids. Uh, then, you know, he has a